Good morning, Crossroads. How you doing? Everyone have a... Oh, you guys responded. I'm used to not getting responses, so I just kind of like chugged right through. 1045, sometimes sleeping a little bit. So I was like, next question, rapid fire. So you guys are doing good this morning. That's so, so great to hear. Did everyone have a good Thanksgiving? I was talking to some kids in the back, uh, giving some high fi- free high fives out, and I was like, hey, did you guys have a ham or turkey for Thanksgiving? And they looked at each other, kind of like, there's a secret. I was like, what'd you guys eat? They're like, we went to Disneyland. I was like, you guys went to Disneyland? That's the coolest thing ever. And then they're like, we had clam chowder. I was like, I love clam chowder, man. I want to go with your family next year, Disneyland at Thanksgiving. I don't know if that'd be crazy or if it'd be less crazy. I don't know. Disneyland is not normally a fun place for me anyway. So the less people, the better. And they have those giant turkey legs too. So that's, you can still do like a little Thanksgiving turkey kind of if you really wanted. So good morning, everyone. My name is Tyler. I have the great privilege and joy of being the Lompoc campus pastor here for Crossroads Church. Uh, As well, I oversee the hub, which is our youth ministry that takes place every Thursday from six to eight. Uh, Before I forget, like I did last service, every week we tell uh, the greatest story ever, which is the person of Jesus. And in order to follow along with that, you're going to need a Bible. So if you forgot your Bible, I didn't give this opportunity to first service. If you forgot your Bible, slip up your hand, we'll get you a Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible at all, that's our gift to you. You can go ahead and take that home. Um, but I oversee the youth ministry. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was doing Segway. I got up here and I was talking about how cool the hub is. We got a half pipe. And I, I ex- was like, if you're sixth through eighth grade, go ahead and come skate with me. And then I was like, I don't actually skate though very often because I'm old and it hurts. Uh, so this week, actually, I guess I forgot that lesson. And, uh, you know, nothing challenges me more than a 12-year-old asking me to a game of skate. So he was like, can you play a game of skate with me? I was like, sure. First trick, I hit cement. And let me tell you, it's hard. Um, It's hard. Literally just like landed on my wrist. And he's like, and again, I hate it when you get old because what used to be funny when people fell, like at the skate park, (laughs) they fell. Now when you reach a certain age, it's no longer funny. And even a 12-year-old is like, are you okay? I'm like, don't talk to me right now, man. I'm fine. Go away. And I finished the game of skate. I lost. But literally, this is the first day in like over two weeks that I've not been wearing a wrist brace because I just am old now. I just have to accept it. And so you can come hang out with me at the hub. I will not skate anymore, at least for another week or two. And then I'll probably brave it again and think I'm young. Um, But yeah, I have the great privilege of hanging out with the Hub students every single week, teaching Sunday school uh, once a month as well, hanging out with all the kiddos. Uh, It's just a great joy and privilege. So you probably noticed that the video and graphic is different this week than what we've been doing. We've been going through since Easter of this year, uh, the series of John, and the whole gospel of John is all so that you may believe. We started last Easter with the, the end of the book, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we have been going through the gospel of John pretty consistently since Easter. Um, as we came into Thanksgiving, and kind of the season of Advent is what the church calls it, we decided let's take a break. Um, and let me, let me tell you why. Not because John isn't great, because honestly, the next chapter in John is going to be absolutely amazing. But we decided to, to push the brakes a little bit. And instead of doing a series on Advent, like many people are doing, they're doing a series on Advent, which is all about the anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And we build this anticipation, expecting the, the final culmination to be at Christmas. So every Sunday, the church will do an Advent Christmas uh, message, all building to the coming of Jesus, so that we are excited, almost as the people of Israel were, of the coming promised Savior. What we decided to do, because we like to do things sometimes differently around here, is we are returning to a series that we did a year ago on the church the ecclesia, the church, the gathering. And we're doing a series on the church. And the reason we're doing a series on the church is because in the same way that the advent is the expectation and coming of Jesus, we have to understand that we need to learn and better understand the greatest expression of God that was purchased by his blood, which is his church. 
in the New Testament, the greatest expression of God that we have after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is his church. And that was bought with a price purchased by his blood. So we need to best understand this as much as possible in the same way that we learn and experience about the coming of Jesus. Let's learn and experience about the, the expression that God has given us found in his church. So in order to do this, we're going to open to the book of Hebrews. This is going to come from Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be planting roots today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. I'll give you a minute to get there. Hebrews 24, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. If you need to use a table of contents, that's totally fine. If you want to try and find it, it's going to be almost at the very, very back. So start at the back, work your way the opposite direction. Verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And God, thank you for this expression that we have of the body of Christ, which is your church, purchased by the blood of Jesus. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We humbly submit to you. We love you. We thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Amen. So, online church. See, those of you in this room may not even realize there is a whole nother campus that we have, not just the Buellton and Lompoc campus, but also the online campus, which is actually a campus in itself, a virtual campus. I'm going to spend the next couple moments and talk to the online campus. Now, many of you in this room have experienced the online campus, so I'm also going to be talking to you, but just not today, because there are actively and physically people watching online right now as we speak. This morning, we're going to be talking about the importance of the gathering of the church together. And in order to do that, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room because everyone watching online is going to be like, oh man, is he going to talk about me right now? So we're just going to address the elephant in the room. Yes, we are talking about people that physically gather, and I don't want this to be misconstrued, so I'm just going to address it right up front. Throughout the time of COVID, we have been told that not only is it good and healthy, but it is encouraged that you isolate and stay away from people. I'm not even going to talk whether that's right or wrong. There's some people that have found it best and used God-given wisdom to make the determination that it's best for them to remain at home, whether it's because you're sick or whether a loved one is sick. And let me tell you, we are so glad that you join us every single week on the online campus, and we would love to hear from you. We would love for you to be a part of the chat and have community and relationship as much as humanly possible throughout this time of difficulty of sickness and health. So we are so glad that you join us every single week, and we're blessed that you're a part of the online campus. There's others that are unable to physically be here every single week, whether it's because I was talking to a sheriff's officer uh, after this service. Sometimes he works on Sundays. We have firefighters, we have first responders. My wife's a nurse, sometimes she has to work Sundays. There's certain careers and jobs that people have that inhibit them from being at the gathering that takes place every Sunday. And let me tell you, if you're watching because you were unable to be here, we are so glad that you're joining us. Even if you're just alarmed, just you snoozed it one too many times and you occasionally miss a service and therefore you watch online. We're so glad that you're joining us and we're encouraged that you're a part of the online campus. We encourage you to be a part of the chat and have community and relationship as much as possible. There's some people who watch online now because it is the comfortable thing to do. And week in and week out, you watch online. Not because of anything different, but because that's just what is convenient and comfortable, and frankly, it's easier. And throughout this time of COVID, we've been told and taught, not only is that okay, but it's actually encouraged. It's funny, I was having a conversation as I was preparing for this at a coffee shop, and I'm sitting there at the coffee shop. I kind of like to hunker down and work. Uh, by nature, I'm a worker, worked in the collision industry for 10 years from 
detailing to fixing to buffing to managing. So I just like to work. And when I work, most of the times I have headphones in and I hunker down and you would probably guess that I'm antisocial and I don't want anyone to talk to me. You would be guessing correct. That's exactly what I'm hoping for when I'm working. I hope that no one interrupts me and no one talks to me. And in order to tell you that, I have headphones in and I literally will not look up because I know the moment I look up, I've now, I brought you in and I've said, this is okay. And it's not, okay? Sorry. Not very pastoral of me. Uh, that's honestly how I work. Um, so I'm sitting there and I have my head down, but every once in a while you kind of like just look up. And of course there's a table that's right in front of me. And so two, down, two, two dudes are just sitting there. He's having a conversation. I'm working. And every time I look up, we lock eyes, which is awkward. No way around it. It's awkward. Um, and I do the even more awkward thing if I very quickly look back down to make sure he knows, like, I don't like that you're staring at me. Stop. And so I continue to work. I'm reading. And then every once in a while, I just look up and I lock eyes. I'm like, what in the world? Finally, it comes to the point where I've looked up enough that he decides... I remember who this dude is. So he stands up and gets right in front of my table. And now there is just a man standing in front of my table. And at this point, I know it'd just be completely rude to not acknowledge him. I'm not beyond it. But in this moment, I was like, let's be like Jesus. So I popped my AirPod out and I looked up. I was like, hey, man, how you doing? And he's like, I knew I recognized you. And I couldn't remember from where. And anytime someone says that when like, you go to church, or you even worse, you speak or lead worship at church, it's like, oh man, I have not acted like Jesus today, man, like literally was avoiding making eye contact with you. And so he began to be like, I knew I recognized you, you, you did music at, at this one church. Um, it was a church that me and my wife were helping out at for a little bit, uh, and I said, oh yeah, I did. He was like, oh man, that's so great. He's like, yeah, you know, for the past two years, I, I've, I've just been watching online. Um, remember, all the while, I'm literally preparing a message about the gathering of the church, the physical gathering. And he begins having this five-minute conversation with me about the convenience that it has for him just to gather with people. Not, I mean, not gather with people, but rather watch online virtually. And that's comfortable. It's convenient to quote him like, I can be in my pajamas and have coffee in my hands and I make eggs. And let me tell you, that sounds amazing. I want to do that sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? I could use an omelet right now. I just don't think I want to go to church. I work for a church, so that sadly is not an option. If I texted Pastor Sam Sunday morning and said, hey, dude, sorry, I'm just making an omelet this morning. I'm going to tune in online. I don't think I'd work here the following week, okay? Unacceptable. But for those of us that come and gather together, let me tell you, that is very appealing. I'm with you that that is very appealing. This morning, I want to tell you about why it's crucial that we don't give in to that temptation of doing life and doing church alone as a follower of Jesus, but why the entire New Testament and even some of the Old Testament encourages and pushes for us to gather with like-minded people who are pursuing Jesus at all costs and why this is crucial for us as followers of Jesus as well. So, for those of us that sometimes just watch online because it's convenient, because we just want to have breakfast in the morning, that bagel with cream cheese is calling your name and everyone right now is going like, enjoy bagels sounds really good right now. Man, maybe I should go get enjoy bagels. If that's you, I, I want to say I understand, I get it. We would love for you to come and be a part of what we do every single week here at Crossroads. So as I was preparing and planning this, I began asking, what are the important questions that people are going to ask when they hear this message? Uh, and I immediately was, was brought back to elementary school with who, what, when, where, why. And I'll be honest with you, that's about as unoriginal and uncreative as it gets. I don't care. I could not escape and get that out of my mind. As people sit here and ask the question, what about the church? What about the gathering? What questions are people going to ask about the gathering of believers? And they're going to ask who, what, when, where, why. So what we're going to do this morning is a very simple task. We're going to tackle the who, what, when, where, why gathering. Why are we going to do that? Because I'm not a creative person, much to the disillusion that some people have that think I can be very creative. Nope, 
I'm very basic and I will ignore you at a coffee shop. That's just the truth of the matter, okay? Don't take it personally. That's all I'm going to tell you. That's all I'm going to say, all right? So who is it that gathers? Who is it that gathers together? This has been a debate and a problem and a discussion within church organizations for a long time. Who is it that the Sunday morning gatherings are for? Is it for the unsaved people to come in and meet and experience Jesus for the first time? Or is it for the people who are committed to following Jesus, having him at the vocal point, enthroning him with every part of their life, and following and pursuing him? Is that who the Sunday gathering is for? Most are going to side with this Sunday gathering. The gathering of believers who pursue Jesus, it's essential that we follow Jesus. We're like-minded. We're similar. We're pursuing the same thing and have the end goal the same at the end. That's, that's who the gathering is for. Now, that doesn't mean if you are undecided or you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus or if you're thinking about inviting friends to come and experience church, that is not at all saying like, no, you should not and cannot do that. That's not what it is. But in general, the gathering and assembly of the church has been about people who follow and pursue Jesus. If you're undecided in here, we're so glad that you're joining us. If you're tuning in online and you're like, man, I haven't been to church in a long time, but I'm kind of curious, I'm, I'm seeking, we're so glad that you're joining us. If you've invited friends here who don't follow Jesus, man, let me tell you, we are so glad that you're here. But the assembly of believers is generally for people who follow Jesus. So the who, who gathers? It's people who follow Jesus. What gathers? Now, this may seem very basic. People gather. That may, that may be a, a sufficient answer for you. Have uh, you ever had a difficult person? You ever had someone just straight up ignore you at a coffee shop that you thought would say hi? Yeah. People are difficult. People are different. We are diverse as humans. We think differently. We have different opinions about things. Even in a, a marriage relationship, my wife will tell you like, we think differently about things. Obviously, she's right and I'm wrong, but we think differently about things, okay? I accept that I am wrong. That's okay. Uh, we did real grass in our backyard. I wanted fake grass. We did real grass. It looks really nice. I have to mow it once a week, but it does look a lot better than fake grass would have. She is right. I am wrong. People are difficult. People are complex. And if you think that you're going to come to an assembly, a gathering of believers, and for whatever reason that's just going to go away, that it's not going to be difficult, you're not going to see the person that it's like, oh man, I, they come to this church now? I don't know if I can keep coming. Or if you live in a small town, like, oh gosh, I used to date that girl or that guy. Like, let's be honest. There's a lot of things that will be like, oh man, people make this difficult. Can I tell you that is by design? We'll get into that more, but it's strategic that the church is built with imperfect people following a perfect God. But you have to understand it's going to be difficult at times. There's going to be people that rub you the wrong way. Even your pastors will fall short and sometimes frustrate you. That is by design because we are not God God is God. We all collectively follow God. We don't follow the pastor, okay? If you've been to a church before where the pastor is God, that is not here. You hang out with us for an hour and you'll be like, wow, they are very flawed human beings. Yes, yes we are, okay? Yes we are. So what gathers? When do we gather? Every Sunday. Now, there's churches and organizations and denominations that will tell you in order to follow Hebrews of do not and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. In order to follow that to its core, you need to be at every single thing that we do as a church. And let me tell you, some churches do a lot, okay? You need to be at the Sunday morning gathering. And then on top of that, we have a Sunday evening gathering that you also have to be a part of. We have a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays. You need to also be at that in order to not neglect to meet together. And then on top of that, we have small groups, and we expect you to be involved with that. So really what you're telling me is every single day I need to be gathering and meeting with people. And if I am not doing that, then I am sinning against what God has told me. Let me tell you, here at Crossroads, we keep it very, very simple. 
What is the gathering? When do we gather? We ask that every time you're able, you be here on a Sunday morning. We meet at 9, 1045, and we have a campus in Lompoc. We ask that when you're able, gather with us in person. Sometimes things will happen that you watch online. We're so glad that we're able to have that ability and technology to where you're able to view online. And then when we do small groups, be a part of a small group or a not-so-small group. It's all that we ask. That is what we do when we gather. We gather at 9, 1045, and 5 p.m. When you're able, be here in person. If you're not able to be here in person, watch online. And then if you're not able to watch online at the time, we even like record it and then podcast it later on and push it out. You can stay up to date in many ways, but the importance is that we gather together as followers of Jesus when possible in person. So where do we gather? Why do we gather? This is the doozy. We got through the who, what, when, where, the why, buckle up, okay? Because this was not easy to prepare. Uh, let me tell you, there was a reason that I was ignoring everyone at a coffee shop because I was like, man, I have my work cut out for me. So why is it that we gather together? This is truly the question. And as we get into it, we need to understand that this is not a new concept. It's not like the church has just been around for a couple hundred years with buildings or since they brought it over to America. No, this has been happening a long time, even as far back to the Old Testament with Moses coming down the mountain with the tablets of stone and the people gathered together to hear him read it. Or as they came out of exile And Ezra and Nehemiah were rebuilding the temple, they were rebuilding the walls, and they were rebuilding the hearts of Israel. And as Ezra opened the law, the people gathered and they began crying as they were hearing the word of God opened. See, as believers, we gather for worship and prayer and the expounding of the scripture. That's what we do every week. We open the Bible every week, and we believe that every time we open the Bible, we get to meet with the person of Jesus. And that's what we do week in and week out. So this is not a new theory. But in order for us to appropriately tackle the why, we're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to get a little pretext of what's happening here. We're going to start in verses 19. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you don't, just go ahead and listen to what it says. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. See, there's three different steps in here that we're going to break down about the importance of why we gather. The first one is drawing near, okay? We see in verses 22, let us draw near. Now, oftentimes when we read the Bible, I am guilty of this as well. I'm not, this is not a correction at you. This is a reminder for me. Oftentimes when I open the Bible, the first tendency I had when reading this was let us draw near. And I switched that us to me and it said, let me draw near. And I began to think of what are ways that I can draw near to God? What are, what is the practical application of me doing that? It's important that I understand this and figure this out. Let me tell you, that is not how you should read this portion. At times, there are direct things that were written to specific people. This was written to a group of people, an ecclesia, a gathering of believers. Therefore, brothers, and brothers was not saying it's only men, it was men and women. Therefore, people, therefore, brothers, let us draw near. This is a collective statement, collective idea, and a collective push for the people who follow Jesus to draw near to God together. Let me tell you, it's difficult to adhere and listen to this in your living room alone. That's just the honest truth. If you're not rubbing shoulders, 
and being around with people that are all following after Jesus, pursuing Jesus, attempting to draw near, knowing that they're going to be surrounded by imperfect people following a perfect God. It's so crucial that we as followers of Jesus understand that we are called to all draw near to God. And when do we do that? We do that on Sunday mornings collectively as a gathering. We draw near to God together to worship, to pray, and to open the Bible together and learn more about the person of Jesus. This was not meant to be personal or individual. This was meant to be collective for the body of believers to do together. Now, Paul in three different times describes the church as a body. The body is complex. Let me tell you how I know. Because I fell on a skateboard and my wrist has hurt for two weeks, okay? That's a complex organism that I don't understand. 15 years ago when I fell, totally fine. Not even a bump or bruise and I was skating. This time, I was down and I had a 12-year-old asking if I was okay. And I lied to him and said I was. I was not, okay? I was in pain and I was hurting. The body is complex. My wife is a nurse. She had to go through, uh, I don't even remember what it's called, anatomy anatomy, the study of the human body. And she is always amazed at the complexity in how God has orchestrated the body together to work cohesively as one unit. I have a body, but that is made up of many different parts and organisms all working together cohesively. And Paul, three different times within scripture, talks about the church as the body of Christ. I'm a music player, um, so I, I play, that's a weird way to phrase that sentence. I'm a music player. I play music, and I enjoy music. That's a little bit better formed sentence. I play guitar. Uh, I play bass. I, I mess around on piano. I, I enjoy music. I find, find safety in music. Um, what's amazing to me is, is I went off to college. I didn't know anything about music. I still know very little about music. Um, there's people that just like kind of play music, and then there's people that play music. I don't play music. I'm like, I kind of play music. I, I strum chords. I know a little bit about keys and pentatonics. But if you threw out a 15-page chart in front of me of what I'm expected to play, I'd be like, that looks like German. I don't know anything about it. It's a lot of lines and dots and slashes. There's a couple numbers in there. I know what those are, but I don't necessarily know what they mean. It's complex and difficult to understand. But the body of Christ, the best way I can think about it, is it's like a, a giant sheet of music. And what's amazing is that there's someone who took that sheet of music with all of these different instruments and began writing each individual part that was expected to play. And they had the foresight to go, the trumpets are going to play this. And that's going to leave you wanting more. It's feel like it's going to be lacking, but that's okay because we're going to have the trombones come in right here. And then the tuba is going to be carrying this nice low bass note that everyone's going to be like, oh, it's like it just holds it all together. And then we have clarinets that are going to do something totally different. And we have this and all of this together is going to come together to form one composition of music. This is what the body of Christ is like. But let me tell you, we talked about who is the body of Christ, who is it that follows? It's believers of Jesus. Why? Because we're all reading the same chart. You've heard me play guitar. I sometimes hit wrong notes. That's okay. You can make eye contact with me when I hit a wrong note on a Sunday, and I'll look up at you and I'll go, yep, <laughs> that was me. I claim that one. I'll own it because I'm not perfect, okay? I'm not perfect. But what's amazing is that we have a conductor who has orchestrated this beautiful sheet of music, taking all different instruments, playing at different times. When I play my part alone, it feels like it's not complete. I'm left lacking because I don't have everything else around me completing this beautiful composition that someone spent time organizing. Listen, we all are looking to the same conductor. That's the person of Jesus. 
he orchestrated something beautiful in his church to build a piece of music like none of us could ever fathom or imagine. And all you're called to do is play your part. You don't have to play the trumpet part if you're a trombone player. You don't have to play the clarinet part if you're a tuba player. You're only called to play your part. Later on in the series, we will talk more about how to serve in different gifts of the church. But let me tell you right now, some of us want to be a trumpet player. Let me, let me make this a little bit more practical since most people in here are like, uh, no, I don't want to be a trumpet player. Some of us want to be a singer. And you take the stage every single morning or night in your shower and your mom at one point told you, man, you have a great voice. And you're like, you're right. I do have a great voice. And I'm waiting for my stage to grow. One day, I'm going to get there. And I've had people come in and uh, one of my music instructors was, was great when I was in Oregon. And a woman came in. She's like, yeah, I, I sing. Uh, I've always been told I'm great. Never really done it, like, for worship. And, and let me tell you, like, her gifting was not singing. There we go. I'll just say that. Not her gifting. Uh, she spent too much time sitting at home, not singing around other people. This is why it's important that we gather, because we help each other determine <laughs> our gifts and talents. Let's be honest. All of us in here want to be a singer, but if you were to get in front of everyone else, you'd be like, oh, no, I'm not a singer, actually. Like, I don't want to do that. It's important that we discover our gifts and talents in the community of believers of Jesus who are making everything that they do to make the name of Jesus great, but we have to be willing and humble to say, this is what I thought I was gifted at, and people around you that love you go, this is not what you're gifted at, and you go, I received that, Okay. <laughs> My music instructor was like, have you ever thought about taking vocal lessons? Um, and this was just like, what? She was like, why would I do that? I just do this for worship. And in that moment, when I was like, yeah, you know, like it's just a volunteer gig really that you're doing every, every week, maybe once a month. And, and my music instructor who was a pastor said, don't you think that you should bring your best in worship? Does God deserve your very best? It wasn't a, no, you can't sing. It's, let's get some vocal lessons. Let's learn some technique. Let's craft and hone that skill a little bit more that you think you have. And let's try again. Maybe singing is not your spot. That's okay. We're going to find a spot for you. Okay? We need to draw near together. And it is a beautiful sheet of music when we're able to draw near as followers of Jesus, all trying to make the name of Jesus great. But the author of Hebrews goes on. He says, hold fast. Let us draw near and let us hold fast. Now, what is it that stands in the way of people from holding fast to gathering together? Paul says in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set you free. You are free. You've been set free by, by the blood of Jesus. But let me tell you right now, that freedom is sometimes hard to accept. I know that. You know that. The enemy also knows that. One of the greatest tricks of the enemy is though he cannot take your freedom away, he will imprison you in just a little bit of that freedom and make you think this is all that you really get. See, you've been set free, but no, not really. There's still parameters on your freedom. You're not able to do anything and everything and all that you want. Christ set you free, but, but you don't actually deserve that. And so many of us, myself included, buy into this lie. I remember for a season of, I'm, I'll be honest and transparent with you, where I went to church for probably a little over a year. But let me say this. I went to church. I never once stepped foot in the building and submitted to the word of God with the people of the church and listened to the pastor preach for a year or maybe even a little over a year. I would show up. I would hang out. I would serve and do something. I would not sit in. Let me tell you, that is not gathering together. You're missing a vital part of being a part of the body of Christ. Why? Because we're submitting to the word of God together, hearing the word of God expounded on as we pursue Jesus, and we all are on the same mission. We're opening the chart right now. 
okay? This is our chart music. This is our chord music. This is how we know what part we're to play. And when you think, like I did, that I'll go to church, I'll be with the people, I'll hang out, you know, the people are actually the church anyway. I don't have to listen to the preacher or the person speak. No, 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 you're, you're missing a vital part. See, I don't have it all together. I need to open the chart just like you to know my part, be reminded of my part, so that I can make the name of Jesus great in everything that I do. And that's what we do every Sunday. We worship, we put Jesus in his rightful place, we enthrone him in our lives, we pray and submit humbly to him as servants, and then we open the Bible so that we can best understand what we're to do personally, but also collectively as the body of Christ. Don't be tricked by the enemy to think that your freedom has now bound you to where you're not able to come and gather with other believers. Don't be fooled into thinking that. If you're watching online and you're ashamed or embarrassed or you don't want to run into that person or see that person, or maybe they know a little bit too much about you that you'd rather, don't be fooled into thinking that's what the gathering of believers is all about, is a big gossip party. That's not what it's about. It's about people who are pursuing Jesus and want to make the name of Jesus great in every aspect of their lives. And they come Sunday, gather with imperfect people, proclaiming that I am following the perfect God. And I'm going to rub shoulders with people that are just like me, imperfect that have fallen short of the glory of God. But we need to hold fast to doing that. Holding fast, I'll tell you right now, that's going to be a challenge. It's not going to be easy every Sunday morning to get up. There will be times where you will miss the mark and you'll tune in online. That's okay. But we see at the end of Hebrews, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. This word neglect means habitual habit. You have made it your practice. This is now your new normal. Not neglecting to meet together. That doesn't mean you overslept on an alarm. This means you have made a habitual practice that I don't need to go gather with people. I can do it on my own. And you will be left robbed of the joys that come from being a part of the gathering, the ecclesia of God. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We draw near, we hold fast, and when we do that well, we will build relationship, we'll begin to know each other, we'll have rubbed shoulders enough that we know about each other, and then what's going to come when we hold fast and we draw near? I can tell you right now, conversations you have with people who are pursuing Jesus are going to be about how to stir you up to love one another and to good works. That is going to be your conversation. When you draw near with people and you hold fast with people, the natural byproduct is going to be, your conversations will be, how can we be stirred up to good works and to love the people around us? But in order that we do this, we must first draw near and hold fast together. If you think that we're just magically going to get to the place where it's like, all right, let's stir each other up to good works and to uh, love one another. No, 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 no. It's, it's crucial that we hold fast and we draw near consistently. This is routine. This is what we do. And after doing that, our conversations will be, man, we're going to stir each other to love one another and to do good works. I want to take you on a little bit of a, you're going to see how, how my brain works. It doesn't always make sense. I apologize up front. That's okay. I, I accept that. I receive that. You can just glare at me and go, I'm not following. And I will understand because honestly, sometimes I, I have moments where I read something that I wrote and I go, I didn't write that. <laughs> Anyone else like that? Where you're like, there's no way I wrote that. Like, does not make any sense at all. But we're going to go on a little tiered track to build the case of why the importance of gathering together as a, light, as a believer. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Bear with me because we're going to have some building blocks here. Uh, he says, For do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, as we read that, we just kind of think church building. 
we think, oh, like, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me tell you, as the people of Corinth read this, there was a very clear understanding that they had that Paul is doing something amazing with language here. Now, the temple of the Jews was separated by fences and borders. Division walls is what Paul calls them in Ephesians. These division walls were meant to keep certain people out of certain parts of the temple. So there would be the temple, but then there would be this giant courtyard. Everyone's welcome in the courtyard. This is a pre-shadowing of the induction of the Gentiles into the family and body of Christ. Everyone is welcome in this courtyard. Man, woman, any like ethnic diversity. Yeah, you can come to this part. But then there would be a wall with a little gate and only some people were allowed. Only the Jews could come into that part. Let me tell you, this courtyard would get smaller, smaller, as the men would soon be able to enter. And then only men of certain ages could enter. And then only certain tribes within Israel could enter. And it kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you came to the inner temple, what they describe as the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, this was where the physical, God would physically dwell with his people in the Holy of Holies. This is what Paul says about us in 1 Corinthians. This was called the naos temple. Okay, temple was a general term, but the naos temple, man, that is where the physical presence of God would dwell with his people. And Paul says, for do you not know that your body is a naos temple of the Holy Spirit? It is the physical dwelling place of God. Don't you understand that your body is that inner temple, the holy of holies, the place where only one priest could go every so often to make atonement and sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. And Paul goes, that now is your body, and it dwells there. You are a living, breathing, walking temple of God, sometimes a difficult temple of God. We're still people. But what Paul says is your body is now the inner dwelling place, the holy of holies of God. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, for do you not know that you are the body of Christ? Collectively, he's talking to the church at Corinth and he says, don't you know that you are the body of Christ? So you have all of these individual, personal temples, naoses of God. And Paul says, you collectively make the body of Christ. Do you not understand that this body is complex? It looks different for different parts of the body, but you all are the dwelling of God. And when you come together, there's something unique and special. Don't you think when God indwells all of us as the temple of God, the living, breathing God, and then we all gather together, wouldn't we think that something unique, special, something glorious that's become, that we can't even begin to understand or comprehend. And Paul goes, this intricate, sometimes difficult, complex coming together of these temples is the body of Christ. He goes on to say, for it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I'm who presently living, but it's Christ. This is the life that I have is found in the person of Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And how is this possible? Because I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How is it that I can be a living, breathing temple of God? Because it's no longer I who live, because I am a new creation in Christ. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. This word new is a verb that we don't even necessarily have. When we think of something new, we think of a new car. But the second you drive that new car off the lot, guess what? Depreciates. Unless it's a full-size truck, then it doesn't. <laughs> Let's be honest. As soon as we drive that new car off the lot, depreciates immediately. It's no longer new. When someone says, I'm selling a new car, it's only got 200 miles. Yeah, that's not new, buddy. Okay, I don't know if you knew that. That is not new. That's 200 miles old, okay? <laughs> new means new. But what Paul does here, behold, I'm a new creation in Christ. What this term new in the verb in the original language literally is this rejuvenating newness that never stops or ceases. 
In every moment as a follower of Jesus, I am made new in the person of Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Every single moment is a moment of newness as a follower of Jesus. And how was this possible? Because I'm in the person of Jesus. This is what Paul says. Behold, I am a new creation in Christ. What does this mean? We have in Ephesians chapter 1 this beautiful run-on language that Paul, who no doubt knew what he was doing, he was trained as a Hebrew boy about how to read and about how to write. In Ephesians chapter 1, he has the longest run-on sentence you'll ever see in your life. This is not on accident. It's almost like Paul, as he began telling the scribe what to write, was like, don't stop there. There's more. Don't, you can't break that up. It has to keep going. Let me read you the biggest run-on sentence you'll ever hear. And as I read it, I want you to understand and hear carefully all the times that it says, in him, in Christ, because of him, by his blood, he is blessed. Listen to the language in which Paul just almost gets more and more excited about. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed, blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, which having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. We are found in the person of Jesus. And my Bible instructor took a sheet of paper. It's like, what does this mean? You see this sheet of paper? What happens when I put it in my Bible? Do you see the sheet of paper anymore? I was like, no. It's like, does that mean the sheet of paper isn't there? It's like, no, it's, it's there. It says, this is what it means when the New Testament talks about in Jesus. Why is this important? Because as we stand at the final judgment and it says that God has already paid the price in the person of Jesus and as he looks on and sees Tyler, I'm now in Christ. All he's going to see is the perfect, spotless, blameless lamb of his son, Jesus. Because I'm a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. I need to accept this newness, live in this newness, and do life with other people who have the same newness. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, he says in uh, Ephesians 2, 19 and 22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I am the naos temple, the dwelling of God in the flesh. I'm a living, breathing, walking temple. If you know Jesus and you follow Jesus, you are a living, breathing, walking temple. But there's something special about the gathering of Jesus' followers that in whom the whole structure is being joined and weaved together 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are all in Christ, and it's important that we realize that we are better together. That is why we gather every single week, and that is why we draw near together, we hold fast together, so that we can now begin to consider how to move forward with love and good works. As we close today, I want to read you 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people before his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just as the church, the Old Testament, eagerly anticipated the expectation of the coming Messiah that was found in the person of Jesus, and they would gather often to read and study and be excited for it. We as the church who followed Jesus as that Messiah, the perfect Son of God, who paid the price for mine and your sin, we gather every single week in eager anticipation and the expectation of his coming yet again for the church that gathers together. This is why we gather, because we celebrate and we expect the coming again of the Messiah to take his church with him. As we close today, I'm going to read a prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me. As often as we are tempted to run from serving you, Lord, let us remember the price with which we are bought. How great a price, the thought of which fills us even with a secret shame as well as an admiration and love. Lord, you have paid such a ransom for me. Shall I now act as if I thought it was not enough? As if you had acquired only partial and imperfect right to me, so I might divide myself between you and the strangers, between you and your enemies. May we be entirely yours. And may we make it our business, even on the very last day and hour of our lives, to glorify you with our bodies and with our spirits, which are yours. Lord, we await your salvation. And in the meantime, we will follow your commands, filled with life by so exalted a hope, we will purify ourselves as you are pure. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone says, amen. Will you go ahead and stand with me as we close? We close the same way every single week. Uh, if you call Crossroads the, your home, the place where you gather, the tithing buckets are in the back as you leave off to the right. But we close this way every single week. We say this, it's a mission, not a mantra. We say, let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. Will you say it with me? Let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. We'll see you guys next week.